You're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders and for coders about all aspects of life as a developer. I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer. And I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. All right, Will, what have you been up to this week? I have been in a slugging match, um, sort of with Google Maps, mostly with my own lack of organizational skills. I've got a side project called Agulus, A-G-U-L-U-S. Um, we're releasing fairly soon, I'm not sure exactly when. I've been fighting with our uh, Google Maps widget, and the problem is is that we had basically one code base for handling our, our Google Maps integration, you know, getting all the pins and getting all the stuff up there. And at some point we forked it because it seemed like a good idea at the time. And what that has worked out to be is these two branches have gone for some months. I'm not sure how long, probably four to eight, uh, being developed separately. And recently I've had to bring them back together. And in C Sharp, you know, you can do that, right? You, you can merge stuff back in and you get compilation errors and you can fix those. In JavaScript, you just run it and see where it blows up. And then you run it and you see where it blows up. Well, if, at least if you're like me and you're sloppy and you don't have tests. Um, and so that's that's basically what I've been doing a lot of. There's been, um, this past weekend, there were, there were a lot of nights. Both of them were fighting with Google Maps and trying to fix um, bad JavaScript. I did get it done, however, so now I won't be complaining about it next episode. But uh, it's, it's been a fun little experience, a little, little bit... Uh, a little bit of shaking my fist at my past self and my indiscretions in regard to actually making code uh, pluggable and easy to work with. You know, everybody screws up sometimes, and I know when I did. So, uh, what's going on with you? Well, not that much. Um, I finished another game for my nieces and put it up on their little website that I have for them of a list of games. I've almost done with another one for them. Uh, really picking up a lot of JavaScript doing this. Because yeah, it's the games themselves are pretty simple, but the the JavaScript code is where I'm really putting my focus on just sort of seeing what I can do with it and things like that. I started taking a course on uh, Unity, doing some C-sharp. Unity! Uh, <laughs> yeah, doing some C-sharp uh, game coding and uh, learned that... Uh, C-sharp and Unity is, is not quite the same as uh, C-sharp out in the real world. Especially the course I'm taking, it was obviously designed for people that have no experience because I, I wanted to start there. And so having a little bit of knowledge of uh, C-sharp is actually a dangerous thing in this course because I want to go and do extra stuff. and Sometimes that burns you. Yeah. yeah. I actually dealt with some of that at work today. We had a guy that had been working there and I, I found some of his code and it was the worst dumpster fire way to read a file that I've ever seen. It leaked memory. It had a while loop that executed only once. It could semantically only execute once. Um, you kept file handles and streams open, all that kind of stuff. And so what do we do? We go, okay, well, where did he get this code? And then we say, hey, he had just enough experience. I wonder if he went to Google. First search result on Google, MSDN documentation. Word for word, his code. <laughs> Memory leaks and all. 
So, <laughs> I was going to say that during my introduction. However, I refrained very briefly from doing so and then realized I needed to make fun of it anyway. So, there we are. You know, I, I can't can't say too much. Um, when I very first started learning C Sharp, uh, you remember the uh, calculator program? Mm-hmm. That you obsessed over for months. <laughs> hey, I get started on a project. I want to complete it. You do. You're like, it's like OCD, but it's not everywhere. It's not really OCD. It's like what everybody says OCD is. All right. So continuing our series on uh, health issues or health concerns for developers. Today, we're going to start delving into mental health issues um, when we started recording this episode, I honestly, I put the notes together and thought that we would be able to get all of them in one episode, and about an hour into the episode, we I'm realized... I'm not sure how that was ever realistic, but that's a good thought. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot... Okay, the thing is, is we use our brains all day. Like, that... Out of all the body parts you have, if you're in the right job as a developer, your brain is probably the most important. With that said, uh, go ahead and play that groovy music. Alright guys, uh, this week I have something that's not exactly IOTs, it's just something that I found that's really cool. Since our episode is kind of long, it's this is a little short, and it's called a DIY laser. It's a CO2 TEA laser, which is transversely excited atmospheric laser. Basically, it is a gas laser energized by high voltage electrical discharge in a gas mixture, which this particular one is CO2, um, the most common type. And it can be found at laserkids dot sourceforge.net they have a lot of other really cool things there uh, basically they're kind of build your own laser at home educational things for kids adults can do them too because well adults have money yeah <laughs> um, actually most most <laughs> of these are uh, are ones that don't require expensive equipment that's why they've they put this site together and they can be great learning projects for for your kids during the summer when they're out of school to keep them kind of in that learning mindset. You know, or if you're a science teacher, I know I suggest it to my sister who teaches science uh, down in Florida. So that's uh, laserkids.sourceforge.net. Now we're going to begin discussing mental issues that developers often encounter. We're going to start out with, at first, non-clinical issues, that is issues that are not diagnosed by a physician, and then we'll move on into the clinical issues that sometimes arise in development work. Uh, since BJ has done a little bit more with this, having worked in a uh, psychiatric environment, um, I'll let him take the lead mostly. I'll mostly interject just with stuff that I've seen. So, it's your bailiwick, man. All right. We'll start off talking about workaholics. Um we see a lot of these in our uh, in our line of work. Uh, the The definition 
that I found online was a person who compulsively works hard and long hours. And most of my definitions are coming from dictionary.com based on just putting the word into Google. So, um, the term didn't come into regular usage until the 1970s. And what I'd like to point out is a compulsion, it's an irresistible urge, not something that's wanted. If you really enjoy what you're doing and you're wanting to do that work, that's not considered workaholic. So this would be more uh, akin to OCD type behavior? Yeah, it'd be, it's, it's similar to that. Uh, you, or it's similar to you feel that to have made it to be somebody, you have to keep working this hard. So how would this differ from, say, uh, addiction? I guess, well, if they're workaholic, that's probably... It's it's very similar. It's more of a behavioral addiction. Um, and I will get into that later on in the episode when we talk about substance abuse. Okay. Uh, one of the big things, and this is from WebMD, and as always, I'll put all the links in the show notes, uh, is a life out of balance. Uh, one, you know, a big thing that they talk about is that our current system is built for workaholism. Like the way our lives are structured, the way we're raised, the whole setup and architecture is built for workaholism. workaholism um, to the exclusion of family, marriage, and even personal health. Some of the key symptoms are trouble delegating work, difficulty kind of breaking things up and saying to subordinates, you do this, and letting them go off and do it. Or paying somebody else to do things around the house, like Mm -hmm. for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also, neglecting non-work life. And this is a, a very important thing, especially going back to our community, a lot of us really enjoy programming. And so we'll spend our time at work programming, and then we'll go home and program for fun. Which is something that you don't see in any other industry, right? You you will never meet an accountant that goes through tax season and then goes home and goes, you know, I really, really want to balance the books on something. (laughs) That never happens to anybody in, in those kind of industries. Now, it happens to artists. Yeah, and that's a good comparison to to what we do. Right. We have the art aspect and the engineering aspect. This is the dysfunctional side of the art aspect coming in. Mm -hmm. I would also say that some engineers would do that, but uh, more in the line of making toys and stuff. Well, it's them being creative. Yes. It's their creative outlet. Um, the, The important thing is to have some hobbies or some things that you enjoy that you don't let work take precedence over. Even if this is spending time with your family or your spouse, it's important to have those areas in your life. Um, one of the, the really interesting things that is, is the last of the key symptoms that I have here is incorporating another aspect of your life into work. And by that, by that I mean... Uh, for example, turning a hobby into a business, like turning conversations into a podcast. Like turning uh, hobby programming into professional programming. That's how most of us got here, right? Yeah. 
uh, I found uh, I read something on Reddit uh, the other day, and I copied it over so I could read it to you guys. Uh, it's called Real Programmers. A real programmer is someone who loves programming. They love it so much that it's what they spend all their time doing. The real programmer doesn't really consider it work. A programmer isn't a real programmer when they don't volunteer to work 60 to 80 hours a week for no extra monetary compensation, remember, because it's fun. It permeates the industry's culture. If you want to succeed as a programmer, you have to at least look like a real programmer. So you get people working evenings and weekends just for the appearance, and they start to burn out. I would agree with that. I've seen quite a bit of that in my career. I've actually done it, experienced burnout on three or four different occasions. Uh, I've determined it usually takes me about six to eight, 80 hour work weeks back to back to do that to me, or somewhere in the range of 10 to 12, 60 hour work weeks back to back. Isn't there a term for that? Uh, well, it's, it's rapidly diminishing returns. Is, no. is what it comes down to. So, um, another thing that comes into this whole thing is the the whole culture of death marches. Because sometimes you're expected to work a great deal, not because it's your expectation or because it's what you want to do, but because you are on projects that are badly managed. And there's a there's a nice book by Edward Yurden. I'm not really sure how to pronounce his name. I've I've read it. Uh, it's actually called Death March. And we're, we're going to have an episode dedicated to this in the future, but frequently Death March type projects, um, they, those tend to happen. You're going to cut this part out. Frequently Death March projects happen because of managerial problems, not because of developer problems. So it's, it's almost like someone forcing workaholism on you. Uh, if, if, probably the closest parallel to this is this is essentially like the guy holding the funnel in the other frat boy's mouth, except it's not as much fun, right? So it's, you know, I guess, making a parallel to alcoholism, right? It's somebody forcing the drink on you versus you taking the drink. And this tends to come out a lot in, in very poorly managed projects. Uh, I've seen it probably. I don't know, a dozen times in my career at this point. And it, it typically happens where someone has promised things that simply can't be delivered. And it's usually a non-technical manager, uh, a sales guy, something along those lines. And they basically throw their development team under the bus. And the development team ends up trying to bail them out and becoming workaholics. And usually you get into this cycle where as people work too much, they start making mistakes. Well, mistakes create more work, so guess what happens next week? Yeah, you got uh, not only the work that you're already overburdened with, but in addition to that, the mistakes that you have to go back and correct. And intentional screw-ups, too, because people you know, people will do things quick and dirty because they want to get home. They had not seen their kid in four days. And they they want to get home, so they, they hack something. Or... You know they're they're mad, and I've I've seen a couple of them that have actually screwed things up intentionally. Well, passive aggressive, a little bit, yeah. I've seen a couple of them go to active aggressive too, which is even more fun. Um, 
I worked at a company not all that terribly long ago that basically had lied to their client, and we ended up in a death march situation. Um, it was somewhat good for me because it was only, I think, four or five weeks. I got right under the line of uh, what would actually cause me to burn out, and I was hourly. But it was it was pretty awful, and I started getting, you know, you get a lot of physical ailments along with this sort of thing, which is why we're discussing the workaholism. Anyway, we'll, we'll discuss Death March projects a little bit more in a future episode. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about there, so we're not going to run off the rails on that. So uh, if you want to discuss a little bit about some of the issues that workaholism can lead to. Sure. Um, <clears throat> sure. Workaholism, uh, it can lead to a lot of different things. We've already discussed burnout, um, but stress... And we kind of discussed that a little bit, talking about mistakes and things that people make, or anger, the passive-aggressive to full-on aggressive. Some others are depression and anxiety. The, the feeling that your work is never quite done can lead to just a general feeling of unease or anxiety. And we'll talk a little bit more about depression and anxiety uh, in the... in yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about depression and anxiety a little later in the episode. Well, I guess anxiety is kind of built in, especially with the aforementioned death march. Right? You already think you can't get it done because it's unrealistic to do it. Mm-hmm. So anxiety is built into that automatically. Depression is built in when you... <laughs> Realize you can't do it and you're having to do it anyway. Exactly. So some things to, to think about when you, you're worried that you might be working with a workaholic. Then um, this is from smashingmagazine.com. I love that website, by the way. Yeah, they have some really good stuff. Yeah. And again, I'll post a link. Uh, and I call this, you, you need to fight for your rights to, uh, to party. No. Fight for your right to work normally. Uh, and do that by asking a few questions at your job or even before you take the job at the interview. For example, how is performance measured? Why are deadlines so harsh? Who's ultimately responsible? And what happens when things go wrong? What are the procedures for making complaints? And uh, finally, what's the past and future of the company? Right. For instance, I've, I've found one thing that's, that, that tends to point towards bad situations that lead to workaholism and death march projects tends to be when you've had a large amount of turnover recently within the company, either you know mass outsourcing, uh, mass firings, mass, you know, especially when a whole bunch of people leave in short order, that tends to lead to that sort of thing. Uh, also, quick company growth tends to do the same thing because they're scrambling around trying to make things work. Uh, so it's, it's good to ask these questions, and to you may want to do it in a way that isn't quite so direct, uh, particularly like with the past and the future of the company. That's the best way to really to get a sense of what's going on and what's driving the company, what direction it's headed right now, without looking like you're watching for this stuff quite so much if you're concerned about that. Probably shouldn't be, but sometimes people are a little 
on edge going into interviews anyway. So These are also questions for you to ask yourself if you're working at the company, because uh, you'll probably know the answer to most of them, and that can lead you down the line to, fig- to finding out if you're working for a workaholic or being forced into being a workaholic. Um, if you do find yourself in the situation where either you are a workaholic or you're working with or for one, uh, a couple of ways to... Uh, in other words, 100% of people <laughs> in this profession. <laughs> Not really. More like 89, 90%, something like that. Well, some ways to treat workaholism. Uh, there is actually a Workaholics Anonymous. You can go to meetings. Uh, the uh, the anonymous. You have to attend all of them. You know, like go to go to them every day. <laughs> you know, like spend like sixty hours a week at those meetings. Is that a? Is I don't that think a it's thing? a sixty hours a week thing. But I mean, do they discourage that? Yes. Okay, that's good because I can see that being a thing. You know. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> no the, I'm sorry, I completely ruined your day with that one. <laughs> yeah, you threw me off. <laughs> No, they they do have meetings for people with uh, with issues with workaholism, and I will tell you the the Alcoholics Anonymous and the Narcotics Anonymous from my time working as a an addictions counselor, they are very helpful and useful. Um, if you uh, if you've got it really bad, you could always see a therapist. It's actually a good idea. Cognitive behavioral therapy is one program that is really good for coders. It kind of fits our way of thinking because it's a therapy that's based on pattern recognition. So how does that work? What uh, what it does is it looks at your behaviors to recognize patterns in your behavior that affect your thinking, hence cognitive behavioral, and then it adjusts those patterns so like if i'm if i'm sleeping poorly and i discover that poor sleep tends to lead me to overwork to compensate for poor work for being sleepy then what you're saying is is i'm supposed to recognize that that's what this triage the sleep issue before it becomes the overwork issue yes that's okay. where that's what cognitive behavioral therapy that's a very simplified version of it but that's where it does help out um, on a lighter side if you're you don't feel you're that that bad or you haven't had uh, family members spouse friends complain about your working uh, you can also try some self-care plans um, one of those is to list out time for your work your relationships play for yourself and uh, for your spiritual life. Now, we're going to do an episode a little later on about time management, and this will come up then too, but scheduling time for it, for downtime. Scheduling time for nothing on your schedule to just do whatever, be it sleep, watch TV, go to Buffalo Wild Wings, whatever you want to do. Yeah, I hadn't had a whole lot of that uh, free time. It, <clears throat> you know, it, it's something I know that I need to do, but it doesn't seem to work out that way. Like, um, 
I think last Monday I was out sick and I, you know, that evening I played a video game for like three hours. And I think that's the most I've played in a couple of months. And I'll say my, my video games, uh, well, my time playing video games has dropped drastically uh, the further along I've gotten in, uh, in my coding and learning because I'll have more to do and more I want to do. Yeah. I find myself now wanting to, when I get home from work, go sit at the computer and code instead of go sit at the TV and play Xbox. Or work on your relationships or anything else. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the ultimate thing here is is most of us got into this because it was a hobby and it happens to be a very lucrative hobby. And you frequently get fairly quick results with software development. Um, you do something and it works or it doesn't. You know, it's not something that's like, okay, I find out in six weeks whether it works. So it's, it's a bit of a Skinner box, really. Mm-hmm. And you're getting a fast feedback and that little dopamine kick that you get when your program compiles, when it runs and it does what it's supposed to, that gets very addictive. I mean, it's the same model that's built into MMO you know, games. Is well, unless, you you're, I'll say, unless you're working with CSS, and then you don't really get that. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, if you're working with CSS and you're a masochist, you do get that. So it's kind of like this, it works. But, I mean, I think that's kind of the structure of programming is that it, it tends to build a bit of a Skinner box, especially for people that started you know, started it as a hobby. And as a result, you tend to have a lot of workaholism and you know, a lot of uh, those sort of dysfunctions. So um, you know, what else What else comes up for developers? What other mental well, issues? Well, part of this, it leads into it, to be honest with you. From workaholism, we get, we get the stress and the anxiety and that can lead to sleep problems. And uh, most of the information I've got on here comes from WebMD. Um, and it'll be linked in the show notes. <laughs> well, I figured I could stop saying that by now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, right, like, so what, what do you say when you say sleep problems? Do you mean lack of sleep? Do you mean snoring? Do you mean um, you know, there, there's a pretty wide gamut of things that go on with, with sleep. Well, the answer is kind of yes. Uh, we're going to talk about a few different types, uh, some of the major types of sleep problems. Uh, there's a lot more than what we're going to talk about, but these are the ones that are the most common. And the first one would be snoring. Now, if you occasionally snore, like uh, during certain seasons, allergy season, uh, that's okay. That's normal. So are you saying it was normal? Like, you were here a few weeks ago when I had a cold? Yes. And you were able to hear me, like, what? How far away? Outside I the house. was outside the house and could yeah. hear you snoring. Yes. Yeah, that was a little bit bad. Yeah, that would not be considered normal. Well, yeah, I mean... But I'm you not... had a cold, so there was a reason for that. Uh, the problem, that, the point where it becomes bad is when it becomes habitual, when it becomes something that happens every night. And uh, some things that, that can lead to this, and we talked about this a little in the health episode, which is being overweight and obesity can lead to snoring. Yep. Uh, can uh, Some other things uh, are obstructed nasal airways, which that's what you had right. with the cold. Poor muscle tone, 
in your throat and tongue. Neither one of us have problems with that because we both talk too much. Yeah. <laughs> Bulky throat tissues. I had a, I had a bit of that, and I had the uh, the issue with the uh, uvula. I actually had um, I had sleep apnea uh, almost ten years ago, and you know, I was diagnosed and all that. And they looked at doing the CPAP, and you know because of the fact that I'm also a little bit claustrophobic, they ended up doing uh, what's called a U triple P surgery on me, um, which. I think it stands for like uvula, pain, pain, pain. It was a very <laughs> painful surgery. Uh, your throat, throat surgery, you don't, you don't realize um, how much that's involved in everything until it becomes involved and painful. Uh, I went about a week without eating, uh, you know, not, not getting any solids anyway. I think I had like milkshakes and uh, stuff like that. And when I finally was able to eat solid food, I had been sitting and watching TV and I was craving McDonald's chicken nuggets. <laughs> That's a weird is, thing to crave. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been watching TV, right? So it's, you know, it's in front of you and that's what you're seeing. You're like, I really want some McDonald's chicken nuggets. And of course you're hungry. You haven't eaten in a week. So, you know, that seems like a good plan. And my throat was so sore that the sweet and sour sauce made me cry. It hurt so bad. I wish I could have been there to see that. Yeah, well, we actually have a mutual friend who was there to see that. And, yeah. I can only imagine his reaction. Oh, he still gives me a hard time about that. Several other instances, which will remain nameless. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, I I was diagnosed with that and uh, had to do the the whole sleep study where they hooked the stuff up. I actually have another sleep study here um, early October. I have to go and, and get another sleep study because I've, I've actually been having some problems lately with that. So uh, this is kind of, you know, right? this this segment is actually somewhat on my mind, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, so bringing up sleep apnea, that's, that's one of the health risks of habitual snoring. Yeah, I guess we probably need to define what sleep apnea actually is. Uh, well, we're, that's true. We're going to get into that. Um, it's... Uh, Basically, it's interruptions in your breathing. Uh, it is a medical concern. Uh, the, the intermittent airflow blockages, and you tend to wake up a lot during the night because you stop breathing. And yeah, most, I mean, you know, most medical textbooks do categorize not breathing as bad. Most, most of, of them. Yeah. Sleep apnea, um, well, you know what sleep means, but the word apnea literally means cessation of breath. And... It is related to being overweight or obese, but it also has a genetic component. Because I really wouldn't define Will as obese. Right, but my father had sleep apnea. My sister has it. Um, wouldn't define my, your father as o- overweight. Yeah, my father's brother uh, had it. I don't know if he still does. But I, you know, I can remember going on camping trips with both of them in the room. You know, cause we stayed in this absolute dump of a house that should have been condemned. But anyway, we go on hunting trips and they're snoring and it sounds like two rusty saws trying to cut through oak knots. And every so often one of them would kind of do that, that choke up thing where they don't they don't breathe and you sit there and you're like do I need to, get, do I need to go check on them? And then they start breathing again. And, and so it does run in the family. Yeah. And sure. Yeah. Genetics 
Some other risk factors include smoking, high blood pressure, uh, which also has to do with risk for other vascular disorders. So if you're at risk for other vascular issues, um, that is a risk factor for sleep apnea. Now, does sleep apnea cause a high blood pressure or is it the other way around? It's the other way around. Well, really it's... Or is it one of those runaway cycle things? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where what causes the high blood pressure also creates a risk factor for sleep apnea. Okay. Um, Some ways that you can reduce the risk is to lose weight, avoid alcohol and sleeping pills, especially before you go to bed. Well, I mean, sleeping pills... That's kind of when you're supposed to take sleeping pills. You don't take it before you go on a transcontinental drive, right? So, I don't know. Sometimes you take melatonin before going to work. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. You did that one? <laughs> no, I didn't do that one. Actually, I was I was working from home that day. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I did. I have so the inside joke here is I have I have these vitamin C gummies sitting over here. Vitamin D also, and I also have melatonin. And so one morning when I was still trying to wake up, you know, waiting on the coffee pot to finish brewing, got them mixed up, and I took the melatonin, and that was a really rough day <laughs> because you're not. Imagine. It doesn't put you to sleep; it just makes you sleepy. Mm-hmm. Like it makes it easy to fall asleep, and and so you're having to fight it the entire day. It was a, it was a Saturday when I was working. I was working on my own stuff, so it didn't, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't hurt anybody else's stuff, but it just, it was awful. So when you make a comment about, you know, not taking sleeping pills before sleep, I'm like, well, when else do you take them? <laughs> well, the, the point is not taking them at all. The, it was alcohol, not yeah. doing that before you go to sleep. Actually, avoiding alcohol altogether is the best way to reduce risk, but I don't want to tell people not to drink, but... If you do have problems with sleep apnea... Sometimes just laying off of it for a while will help. Yeah. You know, honestly, if you're starting to have sleep problems, alcohol is not the way you fix that. Mm -hmm. It's true. And that tends to be something that people self-medicate on a lot when they can't sleep well. They're just like, well, you know, if I I drink a few, then I can go to sleep. Well, then now you're sleeping even worse. And so tomorrow you got to drink a few more. And pretty soon you're obese, you have cirrhosis, and you don't sleep. Well, I, was, I won't go into the, the details of how alcohol actually affects your sleep cycle, but it does cause you to, to go to sleep, to be tired and go to sleep, but it doesn't let you get into those deeper levels of sleep that actually create the rest that you need. Um, for more milder uh, versions of sleep apnea, sometimes your position, um, the way you sleep, can affect it. For example, if you sleep on your back, that is an increased risk for having sleep apnea. Right, because the uvula falls back and closes the throat. Exactly. Yeah. Um, also, like we were talking earlier, uh, sinus and nasal allergies. And just a nasal spray before you go to bed can help with that. And then another big one, avoid sleep deprivation. No death marches. Not if you got sleep apnea. No all-night uh, World of Warcraft sessions either. That'll, you know, that'll mess it up just as bad because it's really it's not the source of what what causes it. It's, you know, it's the fact that you're not sleeping. Uh, yeah. 
I don't so, play World of Warcraft, so I didn't think of that. Yeah, I haven't in a while either, but well, yeah, we'll no all night Halo sessions for me. Yeah. <laughs> so some of the treatments, and Will's already discussed these, are uh, CPAP, which is continuous positive airway pressure. Um, that's basically a mask you wear over your your mouth and nose that pushes air in, so that when your throat does close up, it'll just push through it. It's a great way. By the way, if you ever want to impersonate Darth Vader, it so works true. like a charm. Because you kind of have the... Mm-hmm. It's already built in, so you know, now you, all you got to do is you know, talk like uh, James Earl Jones and you're set. That's true, that's true. Well, this podcast would sound a lot better if we both talked like James Earl Jones. Yeah. <laughs> um, other things that can help... Uh, outside of surgery, which Will has already talked about, is uh, dental devices. Uh, Mandibular advancement devices that help with mild apnea, and they just help to open up the sleepway, or the airway during sleep. So how does that work? Do they they actually physically hold it open, or do they do something to your mouth so that you have a larger airway? They do something, they hold your mouth open, and it's kind of, they sit in your mouth, and hold hold the airway open okay. and that kind of keeps it from being able to close up. Wow, that sounds like that sounds like something from the movie Saw. Never seen it. Ah, eh, well, you didn't miss much. Oh, I know. I just never did see Saw. Mm. See what you did there. <laughs> oh, yeah. that joke was a lot funnier when that movie was popular. All right, another issue that uh uh, sleep issue is insomnia and most everybody knows what that means it's the inability to fall asleep or stay asleep um, some of the different types include the difficulty falling asleep waking up often during the night and then having trouble going back to sleep or waking up too early in the morning uh, i have a few friends that deal with the that last one um is they they will wake up at three or four in the morning and just be awake. I do that if I'm if I get woken up like I got woken up at five thirty this morning. Uh, my wife's alarm went off to wake her up. Of course, you know she can hit snooze and go back to sleep. Like I'm not entirely sure she can actually wakes up uh, when she does this. But if it if the alarm goes off, I'm awake. I've been awake since then. Um, it's like right now. It's what six thirty seven. Why it's seven eleven at night right now. I've been awake since five thirty this morning because an alarm went off and woke me up. I never go back to sleep once I'm woken up. Oh, I am much more like your wife in that I can I can get up, walk the dog, go to the bathroom, and then lay back down and get straight back to sleep. Wow. That's that's like a superpower. It is. It is my superpower. I am sleep man. Yeah. Um mine's sarcasm, so yeah, I know. So, uh, and so this anyway. this can lead to feeling tired uh, when you wake up or throughout the day. Primary insomnia is uh, the person is having sleep problems that are not directly associated with any other health conditions or problems. Whereas secondary insomnia is insomnia due to some other issue or health concern like asthma, depression, sleep apnea, um, things like that. 
symptoms include sleepiness during the day, general tiredness, irritability, problems with concentration or memory. I'm concerned that you put so much emphasis on irritability. <laughs> Remember, we were roommates in college. Ah, there is that. And we both stayed up. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Oh. But the those last two tend to be ones that can really affect us in in our work. Yeah, well, really, the all, all four kind of do. The uh, sleepiness during the day, especially... If you're working in a kind of quiet, a little bit cool environment where there's a little bit of background conversation and there's the humming of electrical fans and then you're out. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at several places that were very bad for that. It was, it was very difficult to, to stay awake. And That's why I like working at Starbucks. Yeah, insomnia on top of that is, is definitely going to get you there. Huh. You fall asleep. I, I spend a lot of my, my coding time at Starbucks, which, uh, if you guys remember the episode about posture, uh, those chairs are not good for that. Anyways, some ways to reduce the risk of insomnia is uh, try to go to sleep at the same time every night and get up at the same time each morning. No. That way your body can automatically adjust. And- yeah. Ways to help with this are to follow a routine that helps you relax before going to sleep, such as reading a book, listening to music, taking a bath, though showers and baths wake me up for some reason. I get a shower and that helps me go to sleep. Yeah. Because I've done that since I was a kid. And so it's it's such a built-in thing now that if I take a shower in the middle of the day, I will be sleepy. Mm-hmm. So I just choose to just stink if I have to. Yeah. Uh, and one other big thing is avoid using your bed for anything other than sleep or fornication. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I'm trying to keep our our rating in the uh, well, I mean, PG you, area. Right, you want to use your bed only for the things that a, a bed is good for. Right, like you don't want it to be a secondary office where you sit there with your laptop mm-hmm. because it'll screw up your sleep patterns. Oh yeah, especially when you're sitting there trying to study. You you spend hours laying in bed studying. It'll really throw your sleep pattern off. Or if you watch like, TV. I was gonna say watch TV. Like I have a I have a TV in my room with my Xbox and stuff, but I have a chair. And I don't watch TV from bed. I get up and I go sit in the chair. Early in our marriage, my my wife and I had a TV um, in the bedroom. You know, it was very obvious very quick that that had to go because it was I think she was able to recover. You know, she could fall asleep in front of the TV, whereas I couldn't. And so if the TV was on, I was awake. And I was awake for three or four hours after it went off. So it's it's definitely a, a significant problem. I mean, you, want, you want, when you get in your bedroom, to basically be in the mindset of, okay, I'm, I'm going to sleep now. And you want your body to react. You want everything pushing you in that direction because you want to get to sleep quickly. Yeah. Well, some other ways to, to help with this are to avoid caffeine, nicotine, and alcohol uh, late in the day or before you're going to bed. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I think a lot of people are a little bit more sensitive to caffeine than I am because one thing I can do is I can actually drink a Mountain Dew and then go to sleep. And it doesn't have any kind of effect on my sleep quality at all. Um, 
That said, if I drink a beer right before I go to bed, then I'm, I'm going to have a very bad sleep. Like I have to, I have to give it a few hours after a beer to be able to sleep effectively. I've not tested anything with nicotine, period. No. So I have no, no idea. Every time I've ever had any nicotine at all, I've, I've had quite a bit of beer that probably would have thrown the results off anyway. Um, nicotine, uh, while a lot of people who smoke will say it calms them, uh, is actually a stimulant. Right, so, uh, another thing is to get regular exercise. Don't eat heavy meals late in the day. You know, of course, I grew up, supper was the, the big meal of the day. And a lot of us, especially down here in the South, that's the way we were raised. And I kind of learned a different pattern when I uh, spent some time over in the, the UK, Northern Ireland, and England, where they their big meal is kind of late in the afternoon. And then at night, uh, later than what we would have supper, they have a small snack, kind of just to tide you over till the next day. Right. Well, and of course, part of that also has to do with the length of the day. That's true. Because down here, you know, when you have supper time, it's, you know, it's right as it's getting dark when you can't do any more work in the field. I mean, we're still very much agrarian in our timelines. And so that's that's why lunch tends to be large and heavy, and that's why dinner tends to be large and heavy. Um, And so it it screws up sleep patterns royally. That said, I do usually fall asleep after eating heavily, but it don't stay asleep. Yeah. About an hour, two hours tops, and then I'm back awake. And oh, man, I love Thanksgiving because I will, I'm bad. I will gorge myself, and I'll go sit down in uh, one of the recliners and just pass out, wake up just in time to watch the football game. That's just the greatest thing. Uh, now, some other things, if you're having trouble falling asleep, and you don't even feel drowsy or tired at all, don't stay in bed. Get up and do something. Read. Uh, not something overly stimulating. Just kind of do something that isn't laying there wide awake. Um, and then if you, if you do have some anxiety and you find yourself laying there worrying about things, one way to help kind of trick your mind with this is make a to-do list before you go to bed. Or if you're laying there at, at that time, get up and write out a to-do list. Of everything that you need to do. Mm-hmm. And um, then this will help you uh, not focus on those worries overnight. Another thing I've done, um, a lot of times one of the main things people tend to worry about is money. Mm-hmm. So if you're worried about bills, and you get frequently I'll, I'll think of a bill that I have to pay. And like, oh, crud, you know, the cable bill's due, it was due yesterday and, and all that if I'm awake at night, is go deal with it. That's and true. Immediately, if you're, if you're able to immediately kill the source of the stress, go do that. And then go back to bed. A lot of times, that, it's, it's amazing how much of a difference that makes because it just gets it handled. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, putting a to-do list does the same thing, right? It gets it out of your head and onto a medium where you can deal with it, where you're not yeah. having to try to keep focus on that. We're going to actually discuss this um, a little bit in the time management episode that's coming up at some point. You didn't know that, but we are. Okay. Because <laughs> I've got some input there too. And that's you know, one of the things is avoiding these kind of problems. That's why we're going through all these things first. 
Um, and then we're going to discuss the, kind of the time and attention management aspect of things as a way to avoid these sort of problems. No. Um, all right, well, uh, not getting enough sleep, being a workaholic, both of these we've talked about leading to something that can cause lots of problems for us, and that is stress. Stress is a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or very demanding circumstances. Um, I'm going to put a link to stress.org of 50 signs and symptoms of stress. I'm not going to go through all 50 of them on the show. That would, well, take too long. Uh, However, I am going to hit a few scary symptoms of stress from everydayhealth.com. These are just some things that uh, are, well, they're the scary things that can happen due to stress. The first one is stress-induced hair loss. Now, as life goes on, some hair loss is normal. And for some people, more hair loss is normal because of genetic issues. Uh, Strands fall out over time, get replaced by new ones. However, if you're under a lot of stress, physical or emotional, uh, the normal shedding of 100 or so hairs a day can speed up to the point where half to three quarters of your hair can fall out just due to stress. Wow. Uh, Then there's forgetfulness due to stress. I've had that one before that actually manifested pretty badly this summer. It was to the point where I actually went to the doctor about Mm -hmm. it. Doctor's like, well, how are you sleeping and how much are you working? And I kind of mumbled an answer and realized that was probably <laughs> probably the source of the problem. Yeah, so I think I was at that point. I was getting seventy to eighty hours a weekend and of work, not sleep. Yeah, work. Sleep was four and a half, five hours a night at that point. Uh, I mean, we all have our moments of not being able to find our car keys, walking into a room and going, "Wait, what was I in here for?" That's normal, but um, research has shown the more stress that we're under, uh, the more frequently uh, we have these mental lapses and the worse they are. Uh, Another thing is dental health. Uh, During the day and even while sleeping, people under a lot of stress tend to clench their teeth or grind them back and forth. I know I do this. When I'm stressed, uh, I do this when I sleep. And I will wake up with a sore jaw from clenching my teeth all night. And uh, this can lead to problems in the TMJ or uh, temporomandibular joint. It's the joint right in front of your ear where your jaw connects. Um, I've actually had TMJ uh, when I was younger, and it is not fun. It is painful. Uh, And it can lead to severe jaw and neck pain also get skin problems I'm sure everybody's heard yeah I'm sure everybody's heard about uh, you know, getting pimples as a teenager from stress uh, and the hormones involved in being a teenager uh, one of the extreme effects of stress is the skin is more sensitive to irritants if you have a condition already like eczema or rosacea or psoriasis uh, it can exacerbate these I know the listeners can't see this, but I have a, what would you say, it's a half dollar sized 
uh, mark on my hand. Well, a half dollar we can measure. Well, I mean, no, it's not really that important to measure. It's <laughs> this red circle of angry, irritated, crusty skin that apparently, I, I guess it's eczema, and that broke out really kind of right as the, uh, the stress you know, hit a peak for me. And it still hasn't completely gone away. Um, I've had I've had this happen several times. I've had the uh, the breakouts of of that, and then I've had these these hard little bumps that come up too. Um, tend to be on like my elbows and places like that. The skin gets irritated, or I, I'll get a lot more. I've noticed I get a lot more ingrown hair. I get those. that. So it, it definitely that definitely pops out. One of the few problems with having a uh, nice beard are ingrown hairs. Uh, but That's why you ought to have a crappy beard like me. I don't have that problem most of the time. <laughs> uh, it, it can also dehydrate your skin, and uh, that allows allergens and bacteria to irritate it. Something we're going to talk about uh, in much more detail a little bit later is substance abuse. Uh, those with uh, problems with substance abuse are more likely to relapse when they're under stress. Uh, it's interesting that uh, not only can stress in adulthood contribute to substance abuse, but experiencing a severe psychological stressor during your childhood can also increase your risk for drug and alcohol abuse as an adult. Uh-huh. Another problem that uh, tends to come up um, is, you know, Concentration tends to, to lapse under stress. Uh, this, I guess, this sort of goes along with the forgetfulness. Yeah, it really it, does. It kind of harms your ability to recall what you're doing, and also to stay on topic and be able to. to it affects your short-term memory, and that's that's what both of both these. Level. Yeah, um, there's a study that uh, looked at medical students studying for board exams and found that they had more trouble focusing their attention if they were stressed as opposed to students that were not stressed. Now, there is good news. A month after the stressful period, a month after the exam, after they found out they passed or not, either way, it's a de-stressor, the stressed group's mental skills return to normal. So this isn't a permanent effect, but... Long-term well, for stress. short-term, yeah, it's not a permanent effect. Long-term stress can lead to long-term problems. Um, we talked about it with the skin issues, but it also reduces your immunity. Um, excessive stress and anxiety, they can lead to uh, an increased chance of getting sick. Uh, there is a big link between stress and the body's ability to fight off disease. Um, I learned that. Raising fish when you got some, some idiot that's tapping the tank all the time, you know, like the kids in Walmart that bang their hands on the tank. The reason they tell you not to do that is because it stresses the fish out, and then they get sick and they die. And it's it really scales up to humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, that's a good way of putting it. And we've already talked about sleep issues, but insomnia is one of the other big effects of stress. Some common effects uh, that can happen physically to us when we're stressed out include headaches, muscle tension or pain, chest pains, tiredness and fatigue, uh, 
stomach problems, uh, and sleep problems. Uh, some ways that stress can affect us emotionally or affect our mood is increasing our anxiety, uh, causing a sense of restlessness, okay? a lack of motivation, uh, or a lack of focus, which we talked about earlier, irritability or anger. And it can even lead to sadness or depression. And then ways that through that it can affect our behavior, what we do is it can cause us to overeat or undereat. I remember seeing a study on this, actually, that a, a night that you didn't get enough sleep was would basically cause you to eat. I forget what the number of calories extra, but it was substantial. It was like the equivalent of like half a Big Mac. Mm-hmm. Extra calories that you would eat the next day to compensate. So your body tends to react to stress by throwing more fuel on it. Yeah. Because... In our primeval environment, that was that was a good plan. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work so well in you know the cubicles that we find ourselves. That's true. Yeah. Uh, other behaviors are angry outbursts, drug and alcohol abuse, which we discussed earlier, tobacco use, and social withdrawal. It's another one that hits our community pretty hard. Is uh, is that along with the uh, what we talked about in the last episode? being kind of shy and introverted. So, so how can you reduce risk of, of having these stress-related problems? What's what's the recommendation from all these sources that you've been reading? All right, so you should see the notes, folks. Goodness gracious. <laughs> There's uh, he he went he went med student like oh yeah. You never oh, go full med student, okay? But he went full med student. So there's this I'm looking at this gigantic file of notepad. So what's uh, what are some of the ways that you can reduce risk here? Some ways to reduce risk of the adverse effects of stress or just to reduce your stress are physical activity, exercising, going to the gym, taking classes, or really just getting out and walking. Uh, I remember back in college, we lived a couple of blocks away from the school. And we used to walk to class all the time. Uh, and then even after college, I used to walk in the evenings after I got off work actually kind of miss that. I mean, I take my dog for a walk, but it's not quite the same. Yeah, once you get into suburbia, there's no sidewalks, there's no ability to really do that. Plus, people kind of look at you strange, like, shouldn't you be running? Exactly. And Also, relaxation techniques. I I talked about taking uh, physical activity classes. You could also take yoga or tai chi classes, or if you're more of the type, the shy type, Learn some meditation. Uh, there's actually quite a few really good uh, deep breathing exercises that you can find online, and I'll put them in the show notes too. Uh, getting regular sleep, balanced diet, and of course, avoiding lots of caffeine and alcohol and avoiding tobacco altogether. Uh, and then finally, get help when you need it. I mean, if you're not sure if stress is the cause or if you've taken steps to control your stress and your symptoms continue, go see a doctor. Your doctor will know other potential causes and will probably want to run some tests for those. And he can rule out, he or she can rule out other conditions. Um... Also, I did state earlier that stress can lead to chest pain. And this is the part where he goes full med student. 
if you have chest pain, especially if it occurs during physical activity or is accompanied by shortness of breath, sweating, dizziness, nausea, or pain radiating uh, into your shoulder or arm, seek emergency help immediately. Um, these are the typical warning signs of heart attack, and we hope that you're just stressed out, but we would rather you get treated immediately if you need it. Well, stress can lead to a heart attack. It can. Eventually, so. No. Um, stress can lead to a lot of other more clinical diagnoses, such as depression and anxiety and substance abuse. And when I originally wrote these notes, we were planning on this being one episode, but it has gotten quite a bit long. Since we're going to go ahead and cut it here, Will, why don't you uh, tell us what you have planned for us for uh, Tricks of the Trade? Well, this week I've got a free tool that is used basically as a proxy. Um, you can you can kind of sniff web traffic. So if you're doing web service calls or any uh, back and forth talking to the server, you can see what requests are coming in, what requests are going out. And this tool is called Fiddler. And it's available at www.telerik, that's T-E-L-E-R-I-K dot com slash fiddler. And, of course, Telerik also makes a lot of controls in the .NET space. We use them. They're used all over the place. But th this is a free tool, and it's it's pretty handy. It, it uh, you know, it's session aware, so you know, it keeps track of cookies. It really just kind of hides everything more than anything. But, um it's also very useful for performance testing, so it gives you metrics on how much time a request took, you know, to get there and back. Uh, it can be pretty handy for um, for debugging purposes, obviously, because you can see the payloads and and uh, see all the headers and all that kind of detail. Uh, in addition, it will record HTTP and HTTPS traffic, so if you need to keep a list of everything that you're your page is loading. This is this is one way to go about that. Sometimes that can be rather handy. So again, that's uh, Fiddler, and it's available at www.telerik.com/fiddler. And just like everything else, we will include a link to this in the show notes. If you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed under Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is OMFG Hello by Argo Fox and is also licensed under Creative Commons and available on SoundCloud. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at www.completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.